Hello, and welcome to Law, the Universe, and Everything. I'm your host, Pacifico Soldati. The show explores topics from law and business to consciousness, spirituality, and everything in between. We feature accomplished leaders across many fields to help you get more out of your life. You can learn more and stay up to date at theluepodcast.com. If you're not familiar with my background, I'm a helper, parent, marketer, attorney outlaw, certified mediator, story brand guide, omnist, yoga teacher, and a former paratrooper and award-winning army chef at the 82nd Airborne Division and U.S. Army Special Operations Command. I'm the founder and CEO of the Soldati Group, a marketing agency helping startups, small businesses, and law firms leverage the power of story to grow their businesses. Law, Universe, and Everything is a production of the Soldati Group. All opinions expressed by the hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of the Soldati Group or guest employers. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, and these discussions do not constitute legal or investment advice. Today's episode is brought to you by the Transcendental Meditation Technique. If you've meditated before but always felt like there was something missing, then it's time for you to learn how to practice TM. Visit tm.org to find a teacher near you. My guest today is Norman Plotkin. After a 25-year career as a public policy consultant and lobbyist, Norm battled cancer and emerged with a new perspective. He went back to school and became a certified clinical hypnotherapist, wrote a book on taking charge of your health challenges, and began to advocate for people instead of companies. Currently tending to his private hypnotherapy practice and leading virtual group meditation sessions, Norm just released his second book, Mastermind, Master Life. Welcome to the show, Norm. Thanks for being here. Thanks. Great to be here. So I'd love to go back a little ways and just hear about how did you first get into lobbying? I, I didn't go right to college out of high school. I joined the Marine Corps, Wills, Bakersfield. I worked in a rock plant like Fred Flintstone, making little rocks out of big rocks. And uh, then I was climbing telephone poles, building cable TV. And I had the first of what I call my unwrapped gifts. And it sounds odd, but my brother was killed in a car. It really rocked my world. He was two years younger and we were very close. And and I really began to question what was going on. And so I jumped back in to school, college campus, and and was on fire on my way to law school. The whole wrongful death thing over my brother's situation it had me interested in the laws on my way to law school got community college in a year and a half and did speech and debate and student government and then transferred to the university here at sac state where the government of california is a nation state it's i don't know at any one point in time it's six or seven got a paid internship as the reading clerk in the state assembly and from there i did i did a couple of years and learned all the rules and precedent and then i became a consultant I worked for members of the legislature. Then I went out and for the health and insurance committees in the assembly. And then I went out and started lobbying for the medical association. I represented the 30,000 doctors in, in California and did that for a few years and then went out on my own and had my own lobbying practice uh, for almost 13 years. I represented automotive industries and energy. Anyway, it was trajectory. It began as the clerk, as an undergrad, and just took its natural course of events. And I love the strategy. I love the public policy, but the politics is a little messy. Yeah, for sure. It doesn't really, I think that's part of the problem that it gives lobbying a bad name, even though it does perform a somewhat needed function. It perhaps can be done in other ways that might not gain as nefarious a reputation. Yeah, but certainly a lot of value delivered. 
yeah, I had representing my clients. I had auto parts stores. I had the small energy service providers against the monopoly utilities. I had uh, small oil against big oil. And so I, it was always an underdog situation. Even though I rattle off those lists of, of industries, it sounds like, oh, wow, all the dinosaurs. But it really was us against the world. And, and I helped. It was important to help us have a voice because on any given day, business gets done in Sacramento and you're either here paying attention or it gets done without you. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It's, it's happening with or without you. It's a necessary evil regardless. Might as well hop in. Yeah. So you practice as a public policy consultant and a lobbyist for 25 years, and then you were stricken with a cancer diagnosis. What was that experience like? And how did you persevere through that experience? It's a, it's a gut punch. My, my ex-wife, her brother-in-law had just gotten a diagnosis of pancreatic cancer and within six months he was gone. And so it was scary. And you, you try and learn as much as you can. Uh, this was in 2011. And although the internet was 10 years old, it's, it certainly wasn't as robust as it is now in terms of the ability to search for information. And, and so it's scary. That word is in and of itself is scary. And you search for, I knew, I knew a ton of doctors because I represented them. And I just, I sought the advice of educated, skilled professionals. And I just wanted to get back to normal. But the problem was what I considered normal was what made me sick. The high stress, the drinking, the rich food. Like, I just, you know, I, I played hockey at 11, 12 o'clock at night. Cause that's when the men's league gets to get on the ice after the figure skaters are done. And so I was lobbying all day, playing my downhill mountain bike. And just, it was that, it was that lifestyle that made me sick. And I really didn't realize it in radical thyroidectomy and lymph node resection and around the radiation. It was, it's papillary carcinoma, which is thyroid cancer. And the thyroid gland controls your whole metabolism. And so the machinations of the therapeutic course of action for this particular, they had me, they took the thyroid and then they scanned me to see if there was any residual cancer. So I was like playing the record on the wrong speed. <laughs> you know, and I'm this little wiry guy that's been bouncing off the walls my whole life. And all suddenly I can't, then they got me on the course of thyroid replacement hormone. They don't want your body to, to regenerate thyroid because it will be, it will be diseased. And so now all of a sudden I went from low speed to high speed, but it's not like drinking a cup of coffee. It's subterranean. You get dark circles on your eyes and you don't sleep. And so it was really difficult to handle the stressful situations. You're sweating and it doesn't look really good when you, what are you, why are you sweating so bad? At any rate, I had tried to get back to normal in the, and normal was what made me sick. And, it, and that wasn't apparent until it came back and the second scan showed that there was still, there was more cancer and I had to have another round of radiation. And that's when I knew, I knew fear for the first time. I, I really, you just, once more into the breach, brave lads, you go into this thing with, and you get the right people and the right course of action and treatment. But when now suddenly, because what I had, that they'll tell you uh, responds well to treatment, it's well understood, well differentiated, all these reasons to be hopeful. And then it's, uh-oh, and you can only have so much radiation in your life. There's what's called the Curie minute uh, maximums that you can only, was anyway, I knew fear for the first time and it really disrupted my life. My ex-wife, there was tons of stress. My marriage was strained and she had lost a brother and a brother-in-law. Strain on her. And everyone deals with things in their own way. And ultimately my marriage didn't withstand the, this process. And so I went inward 
And I had a friend who took me through therapeutic yoga for cancer and Pilates to regain my strength. I was weak and emaciated. And she taught me how to meditate because that, that analytical mind that made me a great analyst and consultant and lobbyist is it takes you in the monkey mind in the middle of the night. The walls begin to move in on you. And so meditation was the first step out of that whole thing. And I learned to meditate. I learned to follow the breathing cycle. I, I learned about Ayurveda and eating and my dosha. And Eastern are great for, for augmenting the Western allopathic protocols. It's augmentation. They're called complementary measures. And, and teachers began to appear. No. Power of Intention, Carolyn Meese, Anatomy of the Spirit, Quantum Healing, and Dr. Joe Dispenza, a host of others who had gone before and learned about the, these kind of esoteric understandings of health and living and escaped kind of the drama of the end of my marriage and all you know this stuff. And I had taken a job as an executive director of a trade association, which is more of the same. And that lasted about a year. And then I'm like, now what does all this mean? And I went inward and I was directed to Go to the, there's an only nationally accredited college of hypnotherapy is, is in Los Angeles. And so I found myself directed toward a whole new program. What was it about hypnotherapy that you found appealing enough to go to school for it and actually become a hypnotherapist rather than just someone who maybe saw a hypnotherapist? Yeah, the whole thing about the power of beings, about the placebo effect and the nocebo effect, you can make yourself better or you can make yourself sick. And, and the power of expectancy has plays a big role in the subconscious mind. You can create just about anything you want. And I saw this couple of psychologists and they run a coaching school. And I said, listen, the way to make your coaching business on fire and differentiate yourself from others is to learn hypnosis. And a story about an advertising campaign with this music company. They had this campaign that put music back in your life, but there was a typo and they added an S to put. So it turned out it was puts music back in your life. And it was wildly successful because it was something that was being done for you. Instead of put, like you had to put music in your life, this advertising program puts music in your life. And that simple mistake uh, was all the difference in the world. And perspective is everything. And so that was the initial hook. I thought, wow, that's interesting. And so I was on the trail of the subconscious mind, Joseph Murphy and the power of the subconscious mind. And three, Think and Grow Rich. And there, there are tons of examples of people who have discovered the power of the subconscious mind. So I was fascinated. And I was, so I started looking at programs. And this couple of psychologists I told you about, they were in New Hampshire and it was a week long deal. And you can get a certificate in a weekend. These programs, can you learn? Sure. But to do hypnotherapy requires a little more rigorous training. And so uh, lo and behold, I found HMI College of Hypnotherapy in Tarzan at that time, and I, someone who knew someone who went there, I signed up, and then I, I never looked back. So I spent 18 months in residency and began began my practice because it's difficult to establish a practice. So I had to have my foot in the other world. I, for a while, I was covering 16 Western states, doing lobbying therapy on the nights and weekends. But I found hypnotherapy as a, a modality. Oh, that's awesome. So how can hypnotherapy help people who've otherwise had conditions that have been resistant to like pharmaceutical or other interventions? Change is difficult. We have, Dr. Joe Dispenza will tell you, we have 60 to 70,000 thoughts every day and 90% of them are the same as they were yesterday. And so usually to make change, some big event to toss us into a new, and the reason that is, is because 
our programming is established. You are sponging, you're mirroring and matching everyone in your sphere of influence, and your programming is laid down at that time. And so there's the conscious mind and the subconscious mind. And the conscious mind is, is associated with analysis, reason, logic, decision-making, willpower. But the problem is that conscious mind uses those processes and filters through the five senses. And But what it does is it measures the inputs against the subconscious program. So I'll give you an example. You're not born liking cigarettes. Somewhere along the line, your subconscious mind made it okay through association or, or peer pressure or for, for whatever reason you found your way. The conscious mind looks at the box. There's a warning. These nasty things are going to kill you. And, you. and your conscious mind will come up with a rationalization that looks like this. Aunt Sally smoked two packs a day and she lived until she was 90. You know, And I was going to die anyway. And I'll just be old. And it won't happen to me. And so these are the rationalizations that the conscious mind comes up with to support the subconscious. So in hypnosis, you induce a trance state, which is like REM sleep. It's a, You're not asleep. It's a state of consciousness, awareness. Subconscious mind is dreamlike. It responds to metaphors and I'll engage all of the senses. I'll tell stories and create blue skies and drifting clouds and write down the reflective words of the, of the client. It's important to use their words. They're be, going to be much more responsive. So I sprinkle in their words of what they want in through metaphor and imagery and, tell, and storytelling, which, by the way, I was a lobbyist. I, I grew up on a ranch in a rural setting. I come from an oral tradition. We, their stories were told. And so it's storytelling that's appealing to the subconscious mind in a fashion that was derived from the conversation with the client based on what they want to achieve and it helps us bypass that programming that you're okay another thing that happens is when we have an experience an, an emotion is created and and that a feeling creates an emotion imprinted in the body and so now you have this imprint that you remember and you say well, 20 years ago this happened you're going to remember how it made you feel so now you've created this behavior making you live a predictable future based on an unreliable past that's robbing you of your precious present moment. So in hypnosis and hypnotherapy, what we do, we, go, we can regress back to the time when these things started and help you change the memory. Because if something traumatic or scary happened and you created this behavior, the subconscious mind doesn't know it's not there. You created this behavior and you don't want to let it go because of the pain that you experienced when it was created. There's also a secondary gain. People hold on to behavior because that layer of extra weight is protecting you emotionally. That obsessive compulsive keeping you distracted from that thing that if you let go of that behavior, you'd have to face what was going on. I'll give you an example. She tried every. Most people come to me as a last resort, by the way. And nothing helped her. Doctors, they counted up the list of symptoms and said, you have this autoimmune disease called fibromyalgia. The only thing we can do is give you pills to keep you comfortable and keep the pills for eight years. And she was done with them. She kicked the pills on her own. And she came to me, the first one who asked her, what was going on in your life when this started? And she was a woman executive in a man's world. She'd been in the Air Force. And she, she was a very tough individual, but she was a marshmallow emotionally. And so she'd gone through this tough divorce and there were kids involved and she didn't want to feel the emotions. So she somatized them into her body. She shoved those emotions strong and she, she her subconscious mind believed that she could shoulder that burden physically rather than emotionally. And, and so it became this autoimmune 
disease. And we did a couple sessions to relieve some pain from and to plant some new seeds, break up the dead old leaves. And then I asked her, and she said, well, I could have given this up. I'd have done it years ago. I'm like, okay, but if you could, would you? Are you ready? And she said, yes. And so I took her through a course of action where she had her focus on it leaving her body. And I did some techniques, arm stiffening and arm raising, and, and it left her body. And so I gave her two weeks in between sessions, and I called her up, or I texted her, and I'm like, and I'm holding my breath to figure out, to hear what she wants to work on. And she says, I need motivation because I've been depressed for so long. I, know, I, I don't know how to uh, get out of the house. And so I was super happy that it wasn't the pain. So at any rate, she'd held on to this emotional pain because she didn't want to face it. And she could, she somatized it into her body. So this is what we do. These are coping mechanisms, defense mechanisms and coping mechanisms. And so see how, see how my early life experiences have, have made me a super good hypnotherapist because that analytical mind, it made me a good consultant and lobbyist. Oh, that's fantastic. And yeah, I, I feel like it's just something we don't, most people don't learn about, but there's you know, a great book called uh, The Body Keeps the Score. And it's uh, an accumulation of every experience you've ever had. It's your body rather than your mind that really holds on to that stuff. And so trauma is often just imbued, like almost down to the cellular level, essentially, and it really takes things like hypnosis to work through a lot of that stuff. It's really wild. Yeah, I, I love that book. I recommend it to clients all the time because it's there's a whole body of medicine. They got a bad rap in the 70s, psychosomatic, it's all in your head. It's, it is in your head, but the symptoms are real. The pain people feel is real. Now, the, at UCLA, they've got a program called Psychoneuroimmunology, which is the mind-body-spirit. It's a Western approach to Eastern philosophy. And I just, I'm hoping that these efforts expand, but it has to be pulled from the people who want it. And so most people are trained to want a pill. And, and the, it's a little more work to do to sort through your stuff. <laughs> and I also, I don't want to knock modern psychology, but I get people who come to for nine years. I'm like, didn't you wonder about year three if this was working for you? And so it really is a powerful modality that helps people take control. The first book I wrote was to take charge of your cancer, the seven proven steps to healing and recovery. I didn't make these seven steps up, but in the research that I did, turns out most people who survive cancer have used a combination of these seven. And then there's a handful more. And I read great books like Radical Remission and Mind Over Medicine, doctors and PhDs who are studying people who survive. My effort was to give you something to do. And just, by the way, those seven things are radically change your diet, deepen your spirituality, commune with your subconscious mind through things like hypnotherapy, release repressed emotions, meditate. It's so powerful. Take charge of your healthcare. And you finally have a reason to live. Don't just not want to die. So when we can engage in our own program, when we have a, a framework, a rubric for engagement, our outcomes are going to be so much better. This whole thing that you go to the doctor and you get 10 minutes and they're, they're, they're kind and they have their heart is in the right place and they're highly trained and, and qualified, but, but 10 minutes, that's not how you treat disease. And the whole person is really like, the, for example, the body keeps the score. Dr. Viktor Frankl wrote Man's Search for Meaning. He says there's a space between stimulus and response, between action and reaction. And in that space lies our power because we get to decide what kind of human being we want to show up as. Too often these days, we externalize everything to someone or something else. He said, she did, the government, the Rona, all of these things are outside. Really, our outer world is just a mirror of our inner world. We take, but see, that requires taking responsibility, that individual responsibility. 
is empowering, but it also can create fear. So I coach my clients as much as I do hypnotherapy as well. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And it is unfortunate that saying something, saying a fundamental truth to someone like, hey, it's all in your head, like it really is. And everything just emerges from the field of pure consciousness. That's where all thought and creativity, everything comes from. And so that's where existence has come from. That's how everything is manifested. And, you know, yeah, you take something like think and grow rich, take something like hypnotherapy. And it's like, all those things are real. But if you don't believe them, and if you don't believe them subconsciously, it's, it's never going to work for you. But the people that can fully embrace it and fully get there, that's why it's so important for people to like develop more positive relationships with money and so to speak, it's things like that. I've been talking to people a lot lately about how, yeah, we've had this crazy global pandemic. We had a great recession 10 years ago. But really, if you look back on it, like we're still living through and dealing with the trauma of the Great Depression. Right. Like my father is 70 years old. His dad is grew up in the Great Depression. So when he was a kid, it was like you finished every bit of food on your plate because you didn't know if there was going to be more. And it's, he still does that. Like he's, he still has that sort of scarcity mindset around it. And so do so many people of his generation. And it just pushes that down onto Generation X, onto millennials and so forth. And it's really wild to see like you actually do have more power than you can ever imagine to change the way that your life is. And, and people, yeah, just they don't want to take responsibility, don't want to do the work. It could just be incredibly challenging to get through. Oh, yeah. So I see resistance. They say they want to make change. The research says that 80% of people can be hypnotized and 20% can't. And there are highly analytical people who mm. will you know, try and challenge you. But there's rapid inductions to get past it. So really, if you want to be, you can be. It will work for you. But it is a belief system. If you don't believe it, it ain't going to work for you. So it says, if you can hold it in your mind, you can hold it in your hand. It really is uh, a matter of you need three things for a hypnotic modality. You need authority. You need a, a doctrine. And they need to feel something. So let's look at a, a couple of examples. Lab coat and stethoscope. Medical school and books. Do you feel something when you go to the doctor? You could get good news. You could get bad news. Don't bad place to get your blood pressure taken. You feel something when you go to the doctor. Pissed that you had to wait in a waiting room for 30 minutes, you know, whatever, an hour. How about this one? The collar, the good book, any one of them, crime, the Torah, the Bible. And do you feel something in church? Most people do. They sing, they pray, they chant. That's a hypnotic modality. The mental health crisis is just gaining steam right now. There is mass hypnosis right now. Mass hypnosis. And they're glued to their television and watching rising death counts and caseloads. And literally, people can die from being afraid to death. It's, re it's really important that we take responsibility for our inner world and understand that our we teach people how to treat us, and we only give them the power to hurt us that we give them. So there are so many. I wish life came with a manual. My parents, my dad was in World War II. I'm so glad. They both passed recently. So glad they, they're not, they don't see this world that, that we're living in today because it just, I was taught to cook by my mom. I can, a little bit of flour and bacon grease, I, I can do wonders. <laughs> you know I, mean? I can make soup out of just, you know, just about anything. Just stop short of shoe leather. But, but those generational traumas do persist. And that's the old biological 
environmental argument. And so I get clients who come in, women who are they're experiencing depression and they, they think it runs in the family. I'm like, did you observe your mom withdraw when your dad was verbally abusive? This is learned behavior, right? And so I get a lot of people also who, who they're really interested in doing past life regression. And so I do past life regression, but I always tell them, let's regress you to the beginning of this life first before we do past life regression, because I'm pretty sure I can find something in your childhood. I always go right to childhood, family structure, early life experiences. This is the fertile ground for the things that we've, and, and you know, we've forgotten and we don't connect those dots. And, and that's the really great thing about if you, if counseling and interviewing skills are super important The hypnotherapy as you're counseling and interviewing. And, but so my goal in the second book, Mastermind, Master Life, was an effort to change kind of people's perspective. When the movie Get Out came out, man, people were just freaked out. I said, will I make you feel weightless or heavy? Sure. But there's no sunken place. And when he, when, you know, smoke and he came back and, and his girlfriend's mom is a psychiatrist and she says, I can help you stop. He says, no, nah, I'm all right. In that moment when he said, no, nah, I'm all right. He said, no. She, she can't, she, you can't, you can tinkle the teacup all you want, but you're not going to get past his defenses. And so this book was an effort to do the history and a little bit, just enough science to satisfy those who are curious and not so much that it bores you to tears and, and the applications for it, the many different things that you can apply it to. Because most people's introduction to hypnotherapy, to hypnosis generally is the county fair, on stage, Vegas, movies, where they make fun of it. You see, in our technocratic society, we need some Rube Goldberg explanation for everything. It's got to be complicated. I believe in Occam's razor. The simplest answer is always the best. Really why the attraction of the hypnotherapy for me is that it's it's amazingly simple. And it's and that's a deception for most people. It, the simplicity is deceptive because it is effective, even though it's simple. Because But people have been trained to want some technology they gotta have a beeping machine or a probe or invasive technique because there's used to be anecdotal in terms of what was now we have great measurement devices mris functional mris cat scans we can tell what's going on in the brain and there's great research being done at stanford dr david spiegel and elsewhere the uk there's a ton of research in the uk there's a, um, a group called the uh, human givens project and they've, they're doing some amazing research and so now it's no longer anecdotal now we can measure these things we know what's going on in the brain we know that we know that there's a demonstrated drop in activity in the dorsal anterior cingulate and part of the salience network of the brain which is the context in the part of the brain that alerts you to what you can ignore and this part of the brain which fires up when there's something to worry about actually calms down during hypnosis now a second change that is observed in the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, the part of the brain where you plan things and carry out routines, and the insula, the part of the brain that helps regulate body functions. These two parts of the brain began syncing up in their connectivity you know, in the experiments, and so altering blood pressure and heart rate. And this suggests that during hypnosis, the brain intensifies its connection to the body. And we can see evidence of this when the hypnotized individual experienced rhythmic breathing with a likely correspondence and decrease in blood pressure. So now we have the science backing up what hypnotherapists have always known in their core, that there are physiological changes that create neurochemical changes and that can lead to uh, real change. Look at the work of Dr. Bruce Lipton and epigenetics. And it's emerging 
that we can modulate our genetic expression. I, I think we're on just the front edge in our ability to regulate ourselves and to, to reach our highest potential. At a time when technology kind of rules the day, there are some simple approaches to living your best life. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I think, yeah, we're definitely just on the front end of that. Even this earlier this year, I was through a series of fortunate events, randomly got introduced to the work of Dr. Brian Weiss. And someone told me to read Many Lives, Many Masters. And after years and years of various psychedelics and just exploring consciousness on my own, it brought so many things into focus in a different way and set things straight. There were certain things that fully lined up with what I'd experienced. And then there were other things that sort of better explained what I thought was going on. And for me, there's a concept in Hinduism called Shruti, which is essentially things that are actually like the divine word of God or the universe or whatever higher power you want to look at versus something a human just wrote about it. So like things like the Bhagavad Gita are, are looked at as Shruti. And I upon reading many lives, many masters, I had that sort of same experience where you're like, oh, this is 100% real. And to me, like fairly hard evidence of an objective truth of reincarnation, just like, you know, Dr. Weiss's own experience with his first patient and then subsequent patients, the works of other doctors with children with xenoglossy, where you'd have a kid born in Cleveland and they can speak Hindi or Mandarin or, or something, some other foreign language they've never had exposure to. And to me, you look at Occam's razor and it's, okay, what's the simplest explanation for that? To me, it's that past lives are real, reincarnation's real, and that sometimes you just don't forget everything along the way. And that actually led me to my first past life regression therapy session, which like you were talking about, like 20% of people can't be hypnotized or whatever. And, and I went in there, I was just like, oh, I hope I'm not one of the 20%. So it's interesting you saying that it is all whether you think you can, because I still went into it with an open mind. Okay, I can be hypnotized. And it was interesting. And I talked through the therapist, the hypnotherapist about that. And I had talked about my experience doing yoga nidra, which is essentially like sleep yogi, spend your time in Shavasana. And once I explained that, she's like, oh, that's hypnosis. Like you've been hypnotized. And then I was like, oh, cool. Totally. But then the, then the other thing I was worried about is I have aphantasia. So when I close my eyes, I just see black. Like I don't have a mind's eye. And so I was really worried. Will I be able to see anything? And so just let's just give it a try. And then we start going along and boom, all of a sudden I'm on the Great Plains in the late 1800s. I went through an incredibly uh, illuminating and mind-blowing experience, life-changing experience. And I was like, oh, okay, this is legit. And just incredibly powerful. And just reading so many different stories uh, of people's past life regressions is such a fascinating arena. And I wish it was something everyone could experience. Yeah, there, there are a lot of people who have a hard time believing it. I read his book. It's fascinating. Here's a board certified, highly skeptical until presented with information about his son that he couldn't even, never could have had independently. The hermetic principles tell us that everything moves and everything is energy and the body is temporary. Come here and this is the only place in the universe where emotion and it's difficult and we have to learn the emotion and some can't manage it and they check out because when you're coming from love, positive emotion is available. When you're coming from a place of fear, all negative emotion is likely because love is God and God is love. I just encourage people to be very aware and conscious and have love in their heart. And then the whole world is available to you. So you, if you couple love in your heart space and the power of your subconscious mind, you are unlimited. I love that. So how has a failure or apparent failure set you up for later success? And do you have a favorite failure? In the entrepreneurial world, they say fail fast. Everything is 
there, there, you don't lose or you learn, you know, my two Porsches, all the things that I thought made me, me being a lobbyist, being, a, I was really afraid of losing. In the end, I gained my soul. Failure was my biggest gift. And, but, and I thought that was the pinnacle, but it was losing all of that. That's beautiful. Norm, this has been awesome to talk to you today. I love this conversation and I have a hundred more questions for you. I could talk to you for days on end. So I'll definitely have to have you back sometime. Norm, thank you again so much. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. I really appreciate you being on the show. I love the opportunity. Absolutely. Today's episode was brought to you by TM.org. If you're ready to experience the beauty of transcendence, then it's time for you to learn how to practice TM. Visit tm.org to find a teacher near you. Thank you so much to all of our listeners for tuning in to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you found us so that others can find it as well. And follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at the LUE Podcast or visit our website at theluepodcast.com. And if you'd like to support this show even further, I'd love to invite you to become a patron of the show. For as little as $5 per month, you can help us continue to produce high-quality shows with amazing guests like you heard today. To become a patron, please visit patreon.com slash the LUE podcast. We look forward to having you tune in next time for the next episode of Law, the Universe, and Everything. I'm Pacifico Soldati, wishing you peace, love, and awesomeness. Yeah.